Durga's Fireside Chat, hosted by Priya Varadarajan. Hello everyone, I'm Priya and I'm part of Durga. Durga is a citizen sector organization that wants to build power and resilience in youth to act against sexual harassment in public spaces and also work towards a gender-just society. Towards this, we do various strategic activities around engaging with youth in various places like colleges, schools, events, online fora and also through active campaigning. To continue with our efforts in engaging with youth through the fireside chat, I will speak to gender justice activists across the country on their activism and inspiration to youth to further the movement. Do listen in, do share your thoughts and do write in to us whenever you have any issues around what you've heard, questions on what you've heard or how you understand issues of gender, gender justice or sexual harassment in public spaces. Tara Krishnaswamy is the co-founder of Shakti a group that works to get more women into state assemblies and parliament. Shakti's volunteer campaigns include petitioning political parties to get more women to contest for elections. Tara is the co-founder of Citizens for Bengaluru 2, which is a grassroots people's movement with several landmark campaigns. Hi Tara, lovely to have you once again engaging with us. Uh, how did you just come about? What what were those instances? What stories uh, sort of brought you together in this form that we are all seeing you in and your work? Um, hi Priya, thanks for uh, the opportunity. I'm uh, thrilled to be here talking to you and uh, the audience of Durga and amazing work that Durga does and hope you continue to rise and shine. In some ways, I've... Uh, I think it's been a, a long journey. I wouldn't, it's not glamorous in terms of, you know, having had a single turning point that uh, somehow, you know, changed my course into activism. Uh, it's uh, fairly organic in that sense. I'm actually an engineer by background. I have a master's in computer science uh, from my university in the US and I work in the tech industry. I've always worked in the tech industry. That's my career. I think even as a young girl, school going girl, uh, one of the things that I've been most affected by is the notion of justice, uh, specifically justice that state and society uh, provide or don't provide for the lesser privileged amongst us. I remember, I mean, my school was fairly close by. So, you know, uh, I just go by cycle to school and I lived in a nice neighborhood and my school was in a nice neighborhood. So, you know, other than what I saw on the streets, there was nothing that kind of alarmed me about society as a very young girl. And then when I uh, started, you know, in high school and in a college and I would take public transport and the train and so forth, the suburban train, I grew up in Chennai, I would say, see, uh, you know, uh, differently abled people without hands or legs or, you know, uh, sitting along the subway that led from one side of the road to the other and all day long, you know, begging or asking for help. And it was just shocking every day, day in and day out as I went uh, to see the state let people sort of suffer like that, suffer a fate like that, which for no reason other than the fact that they were born differently abled or I don't know, created differently abled um, was like this. So I think some of the things that have moved me the most have been injustices. I remember as a fifth standard girl uh, reading the Hindu paper at home, you know, every day there'd be some report of uh, sexual harassment or rape or abuse or dowry death against women. And there'd be nothing that followed up later to say the perpetrators were caught and punished, right? So you kind of grow up 
up after a while in fact i stopped reading it it was a it was extremely dramatic to uh, see the way you know society sort of treated some people versus the others and i very quickly learned that especially as a woman it's extremely important to be independent and self sufficient economically self sufficient because uh, you know both the lessons of the differently abled and the the women uh, taught me that if you are not economically well off as a woman justice can be denied to you very very easily uh, or as someone who's less privileged justice can be denied to you very easily in society and uh, as i entered college i started actually just before i entered college i started to intern with a new ngo that had come up pretty much next door to my home it was an uh, aids action program in in at that time there was a lot of awareness around uh, stopping the spread of aids and we had an ngo who would go to some of the parts of the city where there was a higher concentration of sex workers and distribute condoms on the street and talk to them and find you know sort of counsel them and help them understand how to protect themselves and protect others and uh, just accompanying them i would hear stories of how you know even if they suggested that the a client wear a condom that they would get beaten up mercilessly even for suggesting it right and the first thing that crossed my mind is what kind kind of idiot customers don't get that they this is for their own protection but then very quickly you realize the notion of leverage right and that i think was the first time it clicked in my head that when you're differently abled when you are a, a woman uh, who is especially lesser privileged or actually any women at all without women at all without uh, economic self sufficiency you lack leverage in society and creating that leverage is something that uh, you know i find very important and i think it's state's responsibility actually to do that and that we're all in in that journey that was kind of what got me started but uh, unlike most activists in addition to of course pursuing my tech career i actually uh, a little over a decade back entered politics i worked with a small political party called loksatta which no longer exists helping um, dr jayprakash narayan the founder uh, is actually based in hyderabad uh, election campaigns uh, you know lok sabha campaigns uh, state assembly campaigns uh local election campaigns doing press notes organizing public events um you know various kind of aspects of political you know uh, recruiting members uh, all of this mobilizing people so i really cut my teeth in sort of ground level grassroots activism if you will as part of a political party so that's kind of the very tapestry of uh, things that led me here thank you so much tara lovely to hear what you're saying and i also connect a lot with what uh, you spoke about uh, especially economic empowerment moment right and uh, even when you're looking at it from the literary side this is essentially what virginia wolf has also been writing about to say that one can't be themselves particularly women can't do what they really want to do if you don't have the empowerment in terms of monetary empowerment to do things and that's where things basically start as much and there were a lot of other things that you spoke about you spoke about disability you spoke about women of lesser privilege you spoke about women in commercially exploited sexually exploitative practice so all of that uh, so i'm just very tempted to go to my next question which is basically so whether it's the disabilities movement whether it's economic empowerment whether it's the problem that has does that does not have a name it all stems from the feminist movement and the beauty of the movement is there's space for everything within that 
the the journey right and um, so i'm just very uh, keen to ask you what aspect of feminism do you connect with and uh, why do you connect with that particular aspect of feminism it could be one it could be many but just your thoughts feminism is an f word uh, priya as you would have discovered right there are uh, either feminists like us or there are people that you know consider it almost like an unmentionable word like an expletive um and you have to justify or it's used as an epithet against you so i think it's one of those most misunderstood and poor uh, really poor sort of narratives have been spun around that uh, largely i guess because of uh, the patriarchy in society itself which makes that narrative very difficult and there are a lot of assumptions that are made around it i already spoke about justice i think for me it is the most fundamental sort of emotion if you will as far as um, the public space is concerned um and i think feminism is grounded in the notion of justice and it's kind of interesting because the other day i was talking to uh, someone uh, around federalism actually for a podcast and they said well um we want to ask you about shakti where you know you've uh, the voluntary group that i'm part of is working towards women's representation but that doesn't really connect to federalism does it and i said to them no not at all it entirely connects to federalism actually uh, like you pointed out priya you all of this is very very deeply con- interconnected you can't be arguing for uh states rights or federal setup without saying that local governments deserve those rights too um you can't be arguing for local government rights without recognizing that individuals are sovereign and they deserve the rights and justice justices that are inviolable and therefore that further goes to the most marginalized in society the least represented in society be they women be they oppressed castes be they people with disabilities or sex workers or any one of these categories they're all intricately connected but to me the aspect of uh, justice and equality is i think my my driving uh, sort of motivating or driving sort of feature of fem- feminism and in particular i uh, state has been established basis that our constitution that is the fundamental premise of a democratic state is uh, equality and justice and i find that that is probably the least delivered uh, premise in a certain sense so uh, you know that to me is uh, whether it is in the form of women's representation and political shakti or in the form of uh, you know civic movements and rights of citizens to uh, to walk king the pedestrian for example is the least marginalized most marginalized on the road is the least sort of privileged on the road and the road is occupied by uh, you know everything other than the pedestrian so i think these are very deeply connected and if we don't connect those dots you very easily enter into contradictions which is what ends up with a state that doesn't serve anyone's purpose there is the uh, you know famous saying that if you build it for the least privileged it's going to uh be a very livable place for everyone and if you build it for the most privileged it won't be livable even for the most privileged as we can see the way things are today right so very very well said it also reminds me because your work with shakti uh, and your civic action work they're both uh, something that i look up to because i also sort of believe in the slogan of nothing ab- about us without us 
right? Whether it's for disabilities, whether it's for women, whether it's for gender, wider. So uh, participation, representation matters completely and not participants just as people who uh, vote, which itself is a big deal, but also for people to be able to contest and contest rightfully and um, uh, you know just be proud of the fact that they're able to do something so that's that's and and all the work that you've been uh, doing around it is fascinating when when i'm thinking about it um, and and the stuff that you mentioned earlier about your own thinking around feminism and justice particularly is the word that you've used repeatedly i'm very tempted to ask you that one of the biggest manifestations of lack of justice or inequity or feeling unequal is violence right and which is where we are working largely violence in public spaces um so when violence is sort of uh, acted on somebody there is of course law there are duty bearers there's there's a, a victim and or a survivor and then there's a um, person who's the perpetrator but there are there's a whole community so while we strengthen the law while we strengthen access to law while we strengthen the entire system there's also a community that has to be strong enough resilient enough and responsible enough to be able to do something at that stage because unless that piece of this large puzzle is fixed this will continue to be an issue and inequity um, manifesting to violence will continue largely so according to you tara what do you feel could be good ways in which we could build such strong resilient communities that are able to address gender based violence in their own way in their own space great question priya and uh, you know i'll refer back to your earlier comment and my earlier comment about the economic self sufficiency of women and i'll you know talk about a couple of examples that might be illustrative of you know us sort of converging to the answer of what you asked uh, the, uh, one of the women that ran for the parliament elections um, she lost the election and i had an opportunity to talk to her about her campaign while she was campaigning she doesn't come from a political family uh, very well educated um, she is she was a professor before this and she her her family has a history of being in civil services so she wasn't but um you know they know what it is to be in the public sphere so to speak she got married to uh, an erstwhile royal family so i say this because very well to do she herself is independently well to do and she was married into a well to do family she has her own wealth now when she jumped into her campaign as a newbie politician she did not have the ability to bring her wealth into the electoral space what i'm trying to say is even when women are wealthy or perhaps even economically self sufficient earning for themselves they don't necessarily have the agency or the autonomy to be able to spend that wealth or that money or that even that monthly salary the way they want to right that's not to say you blow the whole thing on you know something uh, superficial the point is that if your ambition is to run for office if your ambition is to start a business are you allowed to take that land in your name are you allowed to take your savings and tell your family look uh, you know we've talked about it this is my ambition i really want to give it a go right and you're working and you'll continue to work if all goes well you're going to win otherwise you'll go back and earn now very very few women not even the best educated women with uh, you know wealth have that autonomy and agency to be able to make that decision for themselves whereas with the click of your fingers 
the the male uh, the males in society who are aspirational are able to even take a loan or borrow money or take the money or even take the family money and spend it on whatever their dream might be which might be to become a real estate baron or to start a restaurant or to run for public office so that is that is one example around uh, you know why it despite of the laws despite of the constitution and the uh, you know sort of electoral setup of india promising equality for everybody and anyone has the right to contest the playing field is not level because the community and the society have a lot of sort of mores and expectations and constraints around women pursuing their dreams the other example i'll give is an mlc from bihar from one of the ruling uh, parties uh, she mentioned in a panel uh, uh, that shakti had conducted along with times of india in the bihar elections that there were a spate of uh, rapes and um, se- uh, child sexual harassment uh, in bihar that at, at a certain time and the the women the handful of women in the legislative wanted to have a discussion in the assembly around that to see what the government needs to do about that and when they raised it and you must remember that you know women are 10% thereabouts part of the state assemblies in india only 9% when they raised it the men there laughed at them you're talking about hundreds of men and you're talking about you know 15 women laughed at a topic around the gruesome rapes and sort of child abuses that have been happening when they raised it as uh, an agenda item to be discussed the reason i mentioned this is to say that there is a notion of critical mass and you're kind of in a chicken and egg situation when uh, you and the you might be an oppressed caste it might be someone who's differently abled it might be transgendered people it might be women uh, pushing against a system which is fundamentally not designed to encourage their autonomy agency and aspiration or even quest for justice when you're pushing against such a system and a lot of uh, a lot of what is designed in the system pushes back even though your push is rightful right so anybody has a right to raise the agenda in the assembly a whole bunch of all of them across party lines brought this up and yet uh, the men resisted this push right they don't believe that they even represent the whole of society they don't believe that the women have the right to raise an agenda they don't believe in so many things they don't even believe this is a people's problem to solve so this is you know i see parallels to the question you asked which is that even as violence against women abounds and there are laws in place and we try to strengthen governmental institutions what can we do as a society and a community to uh, address address uh, you know any inequalities and uh, sort of lack of justice or the 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 search for justice if you will well I think one of the biggest issues uh in India is that different communities and different sets of people grow up in our own bubble. Um I think there is a recent Pew research survey that came out but there's numerous other indications we marry within our own castes and communities. Uh most we live in neighborhoods that are largely populated by the same religion at least if not caste/community if not class right uh, it's not a mixed neighborhood we live in our relatives and friends are mostly homogenous and this means that what does this mean i mean this means that most of the people and the problems that you see and the world around you that you believe is a bubble uh, where only certain kinds of things happen this is why you have 25 year olds growing up and saying is there caste in india 
I never grew up with caste, right? To even say that, one must realize how much privilege one has. You have husbands of 20 years saying, really? My wife doesn't get sexually harassed on the street. I mean, if you're getting sexually harassed on the street, something must be the problem with you, right? He doesn't know that every single day of her life that his wife has gone out, she has probably been subject to some kind of, you know, either catcalling or whistling or something. So this is because we live in our own bubbles and that empathy outside the bubble, whether it is uh you know discussion of caste as an issue in in school books and classrooms and debates to gender sensitization of uh, boys and raising of boys in schools and colleges to you know uh, sensitizing the society around you know uh community policing becomes moral policing of women so i think that bubble you know the bubble of the rwa the bubble of our own communities of our uh, gendered spaces right which are the public space is largely male, right? And uh, even if they're discussing women's issues, many times uh, you'll have a whole bunch of men like in our parliament talk about surrogacy or, you know, talk about criminalization of instant triple talaq when uh, the primary uh, affected party, the Muslim women are completely absent from, entirely completely absent from the parliament. So I think one of the biggest issues we need to solve is just to create more democratic spaces, to open up our spaces to people not at all like us, uh, make spaces much more colorful and heterogeneous. And we all know this as women. This is why we like markets and santes and bazaars much more than we like malls at 10 p.m. in the night is because when you democratize the space and there's uh, different kinds of eyes everywhere on the street, as Jane Jacobs would say, you get a much safer space. It was so beautiful, Tara. I think you just have a way of saying things and communicating it that there was a moment where I felt that I wish you don't stop because what you say is absolutely sensible. You're saying it with experience. You're saying it because you've heard and you know about it as well as it's important. I'm so glad that we have people like you out there who are actually advocating for participation uh, for women in various aspects, particularly uh, public governance. So thanks a lot for that. And you spoke about one important element of entitlement that men come with, right? Well, does this happen or uh, um, do you think I should do it or uh, do you want me to explain this to you or, you know, why are you in my way? Get out of my way, whatever. You know, all these various things that we hear from men comes from ent entitlement. And that's what you're talking about, which very beautifully segues into my final question to you, which is what is your message to youth? Because youth also come with ent entitlements from a various forms which could be that you know there are lots of taken for granted things or again men in youth young boys who can actually break the intergenerational patterns of um, uh, heteronormative behavior stereotypical behavior gender stereotypes violence and abuse all of that where there could be a way in which we don't hand over this baton of entitlement from one generation to the other so what would your message be to uh, youngsters that they actually get on to this journey of gender justice and actually lobby advocate and participate as you've been saying all this um you know i i uh, i think I read this somewhere, not an original thought, but I found it really appealing, which is that if you're 40 and you don't have 20 year old mentors, you're out of touch. Um, I think that's a brilliant statement. Um, and that uh, encapsulates a lot more than what it seems. It's saying today's people, the people that are going to shape 
the tomorrow if you're not in touch with them then you're kind of in your own bubble that is unreal that is true for cross age relationships that we need to build uh, it is true for cross community relationships that we need to build i'd go back to saying that as young people as middle aged people as old people we need to expand our universe to the people not like us the best thing that we can do for ourselves is to speak to people who are not like us if you don't have if you're male and you don't have female friends from whom you're learning about their universe if you don't have friends across castes if you don't have if you're not if you're upper middle class privileged entitled and you're not if you have no idea what your household helps life looks like what he or she goes through to you know uh, get their rations to educate their children to get water why is it they've been living for 25 years in a locality that doesn't have running water and doesn't have uh, attached toilets when we've declared 100% open defecation free in in bengaluru or in india or wherever right if you don't know these things that's exactly what you should be doing opening your mind to a world that doesn't look like the world you usually and you tend to gravitate that you usually live in and tend to gravitate i think the more heterogeneous our world becomes the more the less heteronormative we will we will ourselves become the more people we include in the world the less uh, sort of assumptions and entitlements we will have one of uh, you know one of the uh, the women domestic workers who i had a chance to speak to who used to bug me about I, you know my daughter is 16 i need to get her married kind of a thing and i would ask her she studies so well why are you doing this is this because you you don't have money or and she would say you don't know what it is when i have to go to work all day and i don't get back till 8:30 in the night and my daughter comes back from school or college and she is home from 4 to 8 and there are young men in the locality they just walk into the house right and do what they please so this is a real fear and if you don't speak to her you don't understand it if you don't understand it you don't solve for it right you instead walk around with your entitled feeling that you know people uh, are are you know going through child marriage because education will solve this problem no education is the problem it is because she's going to school and comes back at four that it is a problem so unless we find ways for schools to be safe spaces and keep kids till eight or find a way to pay her better so she doesn't need to work till eight you know whatever the combination of the solution be we can only understand and be more empathetic if we in include people in our circle that don't you know sort of naturally find their way drift into our circle because only people from our own caste community religion class will drift into our own circle unless we open our arms so that is my message to young people go out and meet people you wouldn't usually hang with that was my journey with the aids action program that was my journey uh, you know meeting people the differently able people it was my journey into politics politics is was considered a dirty uh, world to be in right it's not something that a, a woman from a respectable upper middle class family you know working in a, a mnc in a high tech industry would go dabble with right but it opens your eyes and there's a lot of learning to be had what a conversation this has been tara it was brilliant thank you so much once again for your time and all the valuable life lessons that you've shared and life lessons that you've shared for all of us who've been listening to this i enjoyed myself completely so while there is a script and a plan and everything it just flowed like um, you know it was the most natural organic thing to do so thank you so much tara 
Durga's Fireside Chat, hosted by Priya Varadarajan. 